Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at U.S. Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our U.S. Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I am super excited to talk to my friend, the amazing, the brilliant Yenja Wintersall. She is a memory champion, a memory grandmaster. Now, I am a little embarrassed because I think we've been friends now for a couple years, partly online on the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I was mispronouncing your name for like a year and a half. So you thought it was Jenga, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, which is crazy because that's like a a game that I play with my son and it would be the exact opposite yeah. of how your name is written. I usually say it's like Yenja, like Yen, like Japanese money and Ja, like Ja Rule, no affiliation. Or I say Yen, like Ninja, but Yen. And then if people want to run with that or if they want to mispronounce it, that's like up to them. Once you remember something incorrectly and it sticks it in your brain, stick, yeah. how do you get it out? Oh, that one is hard. So the brain is so interesting because it's like, if you see it visually, a lot of people who only know me online say Yanja, which is really mm-hmm. frustrating. I'm more okay with Yanja because it's it's more of like an open A. Um, but what happens is like once you start like going through those paths, those neurological paths in your brain, it becomes like the road most taken. So you start, if you say Yanja in your head a bunch of times... And then you meet me for the first time after six months of you saying Yanja in your head, then it's going to be really hard to revert that. So it's really hard. I guess the most important thing is that you just like actually get it right and you write it down visually the way you hear it. Because our visual memories are usually much, much stronger than auditory memories. So that's one way I do it with quote unquote differently pronounced names. Bad memories, not things that happened to you that were bad. Although mispronouncing somebody's name on stage can be a very embarrassing memory. (laughs) But memories where you incorrectly remembered something, it's really good to actually write it down. Yeah. And also if you incorrectly remember it, like the emotional context of like the emotional weight of doing it wrong and then having it corrected, it actually does make you like put in more of an effort to remember it better the next time. So I'm sure like in six years, you'll say it right all the time, just because this happened for the first year of our friendship. I'm good now. Okay, I know. you're Yenja. good now. Yeah, I'm okay. good. Okay, I'm okay, good. Okay, Although I'll always think of you a little bit when I see that Jenga game. Jenga game? <laughs> no, no. As long as you're not thinking of Ja Rule when you see me, so that's fine. No, it's really interesting that you say visual memory is better for most people than auditory memory. Are there exceptions to that? 
Right. So sometimes I've talked about like, you know, some people are kinesthetic remembers, people are good at like what they feel, people are better about what they see. There's this idea that some of us are better at listening and learning and some of us are better at reading and learning. But the truth is that most of us are better at visual memory. And what usually happens is when people think that they're a really good auditory learner, maybe it's that they have some other neurological thing going on where they need to be actively doing something else while they're listening But most research points to the fact that like visual memory is one of the strongest memories. I think the only thing that can really go beyond visual is uh, olfactory, meaning smell. But that's it's really hard to memorize anything like explicit like facts about the world through just olfactory memory. Are there not enough distinct smells? Is that why? I think we don't name it as much. And it's also really hard to recreate smell. But visual memory, you can recreate faster. So just for the world that we are in right now, olfactory isn't that important. But you know what I mean? Like, if somebody is wearing the cologne of like somebody you had an intimate relationship with, suddenly if if a person with the same cologne walks past you, even if you haven't thought of them in 20 years, you're going to like have all these memories rushing through your mind. So I think like olfactory is very, very personal in that way that like it can bring back so many more memories faster than any of the other senses. But for the purposes of learning and studying in school and working, etc., like you should work with your visual memory as much as possible. One of the things I heard about people who damage parts of their short-term memory is that if they learn through song. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That is really powerful. And you see sometimes children also, of course, memorize things more quickly via song, like the the famous ABC song. Yeah, yeah. So that like actually takes into account like more parts of our brain. And I think the way we do it, we kind of learn how to only use rote memory in school. So then when we factor in song, it's more creative and it's more fun. And it's using like the more natural way that our brains take to learning. Whereas like when it's just like a list of facts, it's harder to learn. This is where we're going to get into your bread and butter, your passion for creative (laughs) memory, right? Yeah. So this is a concept that you introduced me to. Yeah. Um, I might have heard it in passing before, but this idea that the way that we memorize things in school is really foreign to the more effective ways of memorizing. I wouldn't say it's my passion. I just think it's like way easier to go through school. And as somebody who's not very motivated to study, it was very mind-blowing when I learned about it. I don't know if like studying is my passion, but I definitely am passionate about doing things a little faster than normal, especially something as boring as school. But yeah, like when I was in business school, so I struggled through most of middle school and high school. I almost didn't graduate either. And then I went to uni for business and I found this book about creative memory, which is basically about instead of like repeating something over and over again or having to sing it in a rhyme or writing copious notes or like really listening when the lecturer is speaking to you, like all these like classic study advice. It was more about making whatever is boring into something that you are personally interested in and using that visual space as well as like fun little mind games and like visual memory. And that was, that was kind of mind blowing. And then I graduated two years faster than normal for a business school and also became really good at being a memory champion. Well, you were a world champion. I broke a bunch of world records, as far as I can remember, like world records, national records. Uh, One of the few people who is an international grandmaster. So it went pretty well once I learned about creative memory. There's 22 world memory grandmasters, according to Wikipedia. And so you're one of them. International grandmasters. I think grandmasters have to do something 
s- more simple, not to throw shade on anyone. <sighs> International Grandmaster, not yeah. just Grandmaster. Okay, of course, I come from chess. Where yeah, I know. They're actually synonymous. I don't remember the granularity of like what is the distinction. I just know that there are fewer International Grandmasters than Grandmasters. And that book, by the way, is Moonwalking with Einstein, which was a bestseller at the time. Yeah, and that's the book I- that introduced me to creative memory, yeah. I mean, one thing I really like about you is when you really like a book, like you dive in and actually try to extract things from it. I think like nowadays we're so confused because we're consuming like gigabytes and gigabytes of information. So we're just like, oh, well, I read this book because I read it, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I feel like when you engage with it to know the author or like you do the things that are recommended in the book, it's like a completely different experience because you're embedding that memory and making it real instead of just having like this surface level knowledge. A lot of people are confused about consuming information versus learning. A lot of students, my memory students will say, well, well, I read it and I just don't remember it. And I'm like, well, consuming it is very different from recalling it. And same with books. Like I, if I really like a book and it really has some solid advice and it really has a world that I want to enter into, like poker with Maria Konnikova's book, it's like, yeah, like I want to make that more of an embedded memory instead of like an experience I had over a weekend on my couch reading theoretically about a bunch of information and things that happened. Yeah, and I think that ties into this kind of checklist mentality that, you know, at the end of the year, we should read this many books. Yeah, I feel like that's as arbitrary as like, at the end of the year, I want to have this many meals. Like, it, it, like it doesn't, or like, I want to have this many dates. Like, is it the breadth of the amount? <laughs> is it the quantity of the relationships you had? Or is it that you want to have one deep relationship? And that's not to say like, just because you read a book and you don't remember any of it, it's still a part of you. It still actually leaves something with you, even if you can't consciously remember it, just like, Food you can't remember eating affects your calories and affects the nutrition that's going into your body. So even if you don't remember it, it's still an experience. But I think if you engage with it and you do something actionable with it, it's a completely different reading experience. Although actually it is hard for me to get away from the checklist mentality. It's everywhere. Yeah. And also because you ha- I have so many friends who've written books and I have mm. so many books of people that I admire. So there is a sense that you want to check them all off, but that kind of counters with this idea of a deeper relationship with a book, which and of course you can do both, but there is sometimes limited time. The way that you excavate a book is like really inspiring. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely books that I'm just like, okay, well, it's a part of me, even if I don't remember so much of it two years from now, I still like consumed that book, so to speak, and things will stay with me even if only subconsciously. Over the summer, I, I was on the Mongolian steppe because that's where I'm from. Um, super cool place. Highly recommend everyone to go to Mongolia. And I was hanging out with my uncles and everybody's talking about like, and they killed a bear in self-defense and like the times they've seen wolves and what do you do in that situation? And like all this very like machismo stuff. And I just realized I've been socialized and like raised very much like as a boy. And so it was very like heartbreaking in some ways to like, and, and when I found my stride in memory, it was because, like, I, I was playing the kind of gendered, you know, role of, like, a young girl, an ingenue, you know. But I was also, like, very fearless and very specific in memory and how I tackled that. You know, the first chapter of Chess Queens is about playing like a girl because I feel like this is something female mental athletes have to deal with is, like, negotiating, like, trying to be as aggressive as possible with, like, mm. this societally acceptable version of you know being female that we put on and like merging those two is so appealing to the media yeah which is what we saw with like beth Harmon and the queen's gambit like the perfect 
like animal at the board. I, I will say I knew a man must have written that book like, immediately. I was like, there's no being a woman in a co-ed sport. It's like there's no way everything was so nice, and she like outperformed those two dudes in the first like few episodes. Like she surpassed them within a few weeks, and then they're like on her team giving her advice. Like that would never happen in real life. I have a couple of things I wanted to pin in in the sleep though. Mm-hmm. One is. Far from being an expert, I do feel like I have a pretty good relationship with sleep lately. Mm. And I think that it's something where, you know, positivity is really important. Mm. You want, like, if sleep is, like, a character in your life, Mm. you want to have, if you can, like, positive feelings about it. Yeah. Like, I'm good at this. Yeah. Like, even if you're not, like, try to focus on the times that you are good. Yeah. Because confidence, like, is so important. Like, the people who say their memories are bad, usually I can find the few things that they're very interested in and, like, try to convert all the things that they have a hard time with into the things that they're interested in. And then suddenly they're really, really good at memory. And same thing with school kids. Like, I think I did poorly in school because it wasn't suited to my brain. But once I learned creative memory, it was, like, a lot of the time it's more just, like, how do you make things work for your own brain? And and you have to be positive about the things that you do do well. Like, do you focus on your weaknesses or your strengths? I think it is about, like, you should really focus on your strengths, especially in the beginning when you need to build up that confidence. And then you can start plugging those leaks. I think working on them simultaneously, but, like, yeah, the that, that adage that you shouldn't work on your strengths, I think it's, like, so outdated. And it's beautiful to see people kind of, like, coming yeah. to that. Like, Josh Whiteskin, we were talking about him and his book, The Art of Learning. That was one of my main takeaways from that, that he had a trainer Mm -hmm. when he was younger that would always work on his weaknesses. And Mm -hmm. I I worked once with that same trainer. Oh. And then it kind of like... How did it go? Well, it kind of squelched a little bit his passion for the game. What about you? I I think the same, actually. I I completely agree with him. Yeah. Mm. I I think this is fantastic advice. Like, it is good to work on your weaknesses, but there should always be that ratio Mm. where you're also working on, like, what are you great at? Yeah. Because then your passion for the game is getting reinforced Mm -hmm. and your confidence is built. Yeah. So I think it's just like a Who wants to work on what they suck at? (laughs) Yeah, you got to do it at some point. Yeah, you got to do it at some point. But especially, like, as a kid or if you're new to a space, you want to focus on what you're good at and, like, I find it so hard with people from certain like schooling cultures. They they find it so hard to learn creative memory because they haven't been taught to be creative. Like a lot of people struggle with that because they've been so like scolded. And so it's very hard for me to teach them that like actually self-kindness is more helpful for the type of memory that I'm teaching than anything else. You have to have this internal monologue that's really 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 positive in order to do any of the memory stuff because the memory th- the memory techniques are so wacky and kooky and crazy, especially when you're first learning them. You have to like have this internal monologue of like, this is gonna work out, this is gonna, like it does pay off in the end. Like I don't know anyone who naturally remembers like a hundred digits in 30 seconds because you it requires a lot of patience. And actually like rooted in science, self-kindness is better for like reaching those types of goals than to always be negative and hard on yourself. Obviously, you're good at every memory task, but that I know that you're... Oh, no, I have I have a few Achilles heels for sure. <laughs> I know that the memorizing the card deck is, like, not your specialty. You're totally slouching at 22 seconds. I know, I know, oh but that's what God. it feels like. I'm but like... your specialty is the names and faces, right? So my world records were in names and faces, so, like, 212 names and faces in 15 minutes. And then images, I think it was more than 450 images, like, random images in five minutes. And then words, 145 words in five minutes. You can memorize that, 
reach out to me. You can probably learn to do memory better than me. But yeah, so it's names, images, and words. Yeah, those are the ones I remember getting world records in. So you must hate the cliche when people say, oh, I can't remember a name, but I can always remember a face. Because yeah. of course, for you, you're able to match those quickly. And what do you think people are doing wrong? Just constantly forgetting people's names, even in ways that can sometimes be embarrassing. Like <laughs> if you met somebody like six times and it's yeah. like, what's up? I think when people say like, oh, I'm really good with faces, but I'm not good with names, I usually try to explain that there's a difference between recall and recognition too. So when you recognize somebody's face, it's just a matter of have I seen this before or not. But when you're remembering somebody's name, again, it's about reproducing facts. Like you have to reproduce that fact of their name, right? Nine out of 10 people will say like, oh, I'm really good with faces, but not with names. I'm like, yeah, because everybody's way better at recognizing if they've seen information before. Not everyone is good at like being able to recall and retrieve that information. Uh, that's a great distinction. You actually told, gave me that distinction when I was trying to uh, memorize a deck of cards. I wasn't trying to memorize a deck of cards. I was doing a simpler task, uh-huh. which was I was trying to fan out the deck. Uh, and then find what the last card was. Uh, yeah. And you told me, you were like, well, that's not really memorization, that's recognition. Yeah, yeah, Because it it's is. like, you're you're kind of like recognizing the one card that hasn't appeared yet. Yeah. And you could use a memory task to find that, or you could use something probably a little simpler. Probably that's simpler, because me. recognition is so much easier than recalling. They've done lots of studies like this where you can be exposed to like a thousand images one second at a time per image. And then you can get like a shuffled set of a thousand images and your brain will know which one you've seen and you haven't. Because our skill of recognition is so fast that we can say, I've seen this, I haven't seen this. I've seen this, I haven't seen this. But now ask somebody to memorize a thousand images one image at a second. That's not going to be, no one's going to be able to do that. It's, it's really hard to recall all of those 1,000 images. I think, again, like we think of memory as like this big blob of just like, my memory is bad. It's very vague. (laughs) Like You're probably really good at some things. Like when I was 16, I was really good at remembering information about soccer players. Like who knows why that was? Maybe it was hormones. Who knows? And so like once I started incorporating like soccer player information into like how I did math skills, et cetera, suddenly it has like all this meaning to me. And like I can figure out statistics and I can like do sports betting. When it has meaning, it's so much easier. And I just think generally we just say like, my memory's bad. And we just think of like a thousand things that in my mind are very different. Like recall, recognition, memorizing, all these things are very, very, very different. Short-term, medium, long-term memory. So with certain things, like especially when I was in the beginning of my memory competition career, I started like really taking in facts and numbers, whether I wanted to or not. And also whether I made like a creative connection or not because I was really into numbers at the, at the time. You know who was getting into memory? My brother. Oh, really? My brother Greg, Greg Shahadi. Yeah, he actually wrote a blog about how he's trying to like memorize a bunch of trivia because he was part of this oh, trivia yeah, competition yeah. learned league and maybe he'll try out for Jeopardy one day, but he's using... Oh, the Jeopardy contestants are so good at memory. Yeah, they all use the same techniques we use for sure. He's definitely using um, flashcards mm. and spaced repetition. That, of course, is very popular in chess as well. As, you spaced know, repetition? Yes, yeah, spaced repetition mm-hmm. has become a big... Uh, mm-hmm. as a lot of language apps use it. I yeah. mean, even, like, my WhatsApp, like, my password... Is using like, spaced repetition? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say it's generally good, but it's also really hard for the apps to know what kind of information we need exposure to all the time. So, like, if I'm learning Norwegian, like, I already speak Swedish, like, I don't need to be exposed to this 
little flashcard as often as I would need if I was learning Arabic. So it's really hard for the algorithms to figure out like the good repetition schedule, but generally it's better than just like try, trying to learn something automatically. I would say for Greg or for anyone learning, the biggest thing is really practicing that muscle of recall. So I say this to my students all the time. They've done lots of studies where it's like, read this text four times, or and then another group gets to read the text one time and then really think about what they read and try to recall it and kind of recreate whatever they read. And most of the time, like by a landslide, the people who read something once and then really think about it do better than the people who read something four times with no reflection. So, yeah, it sounds like he's doing really well with his system with the based repetition and he hasn't yet hit a plateau. Yeah, I also want to do Jeopardy at some point, so I don't know if I can help him yet. It would be fun if we went on Jeopardy at the same time with the same techniques. Oh my, well, it seems, isn't spaced repetition like very different from creative memory? To me, it seems like spaced repetition is more of like a interval training at the gym or something. Yeah. And creative memory is more like a dance competition. It's like, they yeah. seem so different. But. I think with creative memory, it's just, you can apply all the techniques, like it's sort of like learning to sing on cue and learning to sing, hit your notes and learning to read a sheet of paper. There's so many aspects to memory. So I think if you can combine spaced repetition and sleeping enough and all this stuff and creative memory, that's probably ideal. And what I love that you've talked to me about before, and which is like so important to my work with girls and women and, you know, all marginalized communities and everyone really, is this idea that focus is so important, that deep work is so important. Like, Mm -hmm. You say everyone can do creative memory, that it's not even that hard. But then you also say, but you better be 100% focused. Oh, did I say that? In one of your YouTube videos, yeah. Oh, you're no. talking about how, like, so easy. It's so easy to memorize. Like, it's very simple, but it's not easy, I would say. That's okay. the thing is, today, I don't feel like people have good focus. And that's, like, one of the biggest things about memory is attention like it's really hard to remember something you didn't pay attention to and that goes back to like the whole I don't remember people's names usually it's because you're so distracted by like all trying to take in so much information about the person like how's their handshake do they have beautiful eyes like what's up with their clothing do I like how they smell like you're processing so much information that most likely your main issue when you don't remember somebody's name is that you didn't hear it in the first place so it's really hard to remember something where you weren't memorizing it correctly in the first place like you weren't paying attention the techniques are very simple but it's really it's not easy to incorporate in your day-to-day life especially with phones and like phones that specifically make you addicted to looking at it and kind of have this frenetic attention this frenetic way of consuming information and we don't we're in a society where we sleep like 20 percent less than we did like a couple of decades ago and yeah, there's so many things about modern life that make attention really hard. So even though it's very simple, like the techniques are so simple. Like I know it because I've, I've coached a lot of people who are way better than me now. It's not hard because their memories were terrible before and now their memories are good at doing the specific things that memory techniques help with. And overall memory has improved, but it's really hard to do in our society to pay attention truly, I think. It really is. And maybe that's the lesson also that like, memory is valuable also in that it teaches you the importance of attention yeah yeah and it's it's really 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 like the first step to memory is like you do have to pay attention it's very hard to remember stuff you're not paying attention to in the first place because it's all about performance Mm. it's not just about knowledge it's about performance Mm. and understanding that like you don't just go there and have a list of things that you've worked on and then do well. <laughs> yeah. And that you actually have to be pumped up and perform and yeah. focus. Mm-hmm. All genders, like 
that is unbelievably important. God, it's so great that you do life coaching with these girls. As I mean, well. I, it's not, I don't say like I'm doing life coaching, but like once I noticed that they're like, they're trying. Like one thing that really bothers me is all these language apps. People will mem- memorize like 5,000 words in a vacuum without like speaking Spanish. They will learn uh-huh. Spanish words. And that's great. But if you can't like conjure up a sentence to explain, to express yourself, it ultimately means nothing. So in the same way, you can memorize all the openings in the world, but if you can't play the middle game or end game properly, it does not really matter. That one is really hard for me because it's at least hard to get through to people. It's like, you might be really good. Your, Your streak on Duolingo might be really high, but can you say a few facts about yourself without stumbling? It's like... It's like implicit versus explicit memory. Like there's this guy who won the Scrabble championship in French, even though he doesn't speak French, because he just learned all of the words that he needed to know to win the championship. Like, what's that worth? Like for him, obviously it was worth a lot, enough for him to memorize like 10,000 French words or something like that. But like in the context of competition or in real life, will you need to know all these laws? Will you need to actually have an A in XYZ subject? Will you actually need to memorize every single opening? Or do you need to be better at playing more dynamically and animalistically? And there's one idea that I think comes up in chess Mm -hmm. that is a little weird because does it fall under the umbrella of memory pattern Mm -hmm. recognition? Ah, yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, immediately. Yeah, no, no, because like with with coding, everybody's like, oh, it's very hard to get a coding job nowadays, et cetera, um, because there's just so much pattern recognition. But so much of memory is also about recognition. Like recognition is a part of memory. And so I think whether you can, again, whether you can explicitly say it or explicitly conjure up that specific piece of fact there's still something about that like rhythm that it's it's very hard to explain in words again like it's it's sort of like pattern recognition is about being exposed to so much information that kind of you can either recognize it consciously or subconsciously and kind of feel what you want to do in that second one of my early coaches victor frias looked at my games and said you need to look at more chess games oh, because a lot of what i did as an up and coming junior exposure. yeah i did a lot of like disconnected chess puzzles, end games, openings. I was trying to like study chess in a way where I would like carve out all the different parts. Yeah. Like I was, you know, instead trying to of that a, flow that we're talking about, yes. the like the intuitive yeah. flow, yeah. Yeah, and like like almost like I was trying to become a good cook by like learning how to make a dessert and and be getting really good at cutting and then getting really good at boiling and like yeah. you know instead of just like how many meals can you make you know yeah and that was fascinating to me because it was true like I didn't look at a lot of full games because I thought it was kind of like a waste of time because to me it was like it was so goalless mm. whereas like everything I was doing was so goal oriented mm. like get better at puzzles get better at end games get better at openings. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to recognize that just by looking at my games. Yeah, that's so fascinating. There must have been some aspect of it that he recognized with his pattern recognition as like disjointed in some way, you know, that it wasn't. And in the same way with language learning, it's like if you learn it grammatically, like these are the grammatical rules to say, and then you learn to put in other words after I spoke. Like if you learn it in that mechanical way, it also shows up when you try to speak the language. I noticed this behavior of wanting immediate feedback on performance. And I think that's why people love these language learning apps, et cetera, and chess apps. Because if you're doing a trainer and you're only doing like chess openings, then you're like, oh, okay, well, I did that right. Great. Moving on. Next chess opening. But in real life, it's not going to happen like that because the game continues. 
And in the same way, I think people like over rely on these apps and over rely on like just flashcards because it's easier to just be like, I know this piece of information. Let's check if I know this piece of information. I do. And then the app tells you that you do. But then can you apply that to real life? It becomes like a completely different story. I just know so many people are so good at certain things theoretically. And then let's like say your first and last name in this language and also say what your wishes are for the evening. And then it's like it just completely falls apart, even though they have like a three year streak. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny how we keep kind of coming back to that idea of like working on things that you're good at, but then also working on things that you're bad at. I think it's really hard because I try to teach my memory students these memory techniques, but I also try to explain that like the way it'll show up in real life will be very different. And you can't over rely on just memorizing a bunch of facts and thinking that it's going to like get you to being able to problem solve in real life, whether that's a competition or in the corporate world or whatever. A lot of the things about memory is like it's, some things you can't explicitly put, explicitly put a name to, but you just know intuitively, like, that person's going to do this, and I can't explain why, you know? Yeah, that's where the tie-in between the pattern. And, of course, in chess, that would be something like it's not opening, memorizing an opening, but, like, looking at a bunch of double attacks mm. and then being able to see or recognize a double attack more quickly. Yeah. Like, that is certainly a thing that happens. Yeah. Or, in the example of, like, the greatest female player of all time, Judith Polgar, one thing that she mentioned as she was becoming one of, like, the elite players in the world, she was looking at some games where there was this theme of putting um, two rooks mm -hmm. in front and then a queen in the back. Mm. It's just, like, this very powerful battery that I like to call the Polgar mm -hmm. power punch. Mm -hmm. And, like, she just started seeing it in her games. Mm. And it's like kind of a slightly offbeat pattern. It's not like double attack that mm -hmm. comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Like this, doesn't, you wouldn't think this would come up that much, but she started to see it in places. Yeah. And that's like the example of pattern recognition or seeing like an opportunity to check raise the river with a combo that you might not have noticed, but yeah. you looked at a similar situation. Mm -hmm. So you think that's under the umbrella of memory? Yes, yes. Okay. It, but I, again, it's like there's a difference between recognition and recall and memorizing and all those things. And I think the more you do memorize and the more you do have recall, that pattern recognition is going to get faster. Like, obviously, to me, if I look at a chessboard, it's not going to fire as many neurons as it does for you. I wonder for chess and girls, mm. or for everyone in chess, actually, beyond, like, the spaced repetition, mm -hmm. what's a memory technique that they should be aware of or something that they should be maybe doing more of? Same with poker, like sleep, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I think with chess what's interesting is there's been so much naming and once you name something it's much easier to remember mm -hmm. it so i would say focus on focus on memorizing like like use the names to your advantage like the different openings the different like middle strategies etc because if you have a name for it it's going to be easier to do than our discussion about olfactory memory like if it's not named it's really hard to recreate recall. it and recall exactly yeah and so i would say lean into that other than that i think it's it's really really with girls in chess and girls in a lot of cultures i would say what's really really hard is there's kind of like this almost self um like very ascetic self-flagellating internal monologue and I think I even asked, send me a clip of that because somebody, I think you were speaking on it, that you had a guest speaker who said, like, don't call yourself stupid. Don't say that was a bad move. Like, what I've noticed in my, the personality shift that makes me such an overfolder is, is there's so much more negative 
self-talk. And ultimately that's not helpful when you're trying to grow. Like when you're trying to grow, and we have wonderful examples of people who have done well in that career, even with negativity, but at some point it, it like push comes to shove, there's like some, it's, it's not sustainable. Like, I think that's why like a lot of artists flame out, et cetera, because you can be self-flagellating up to a certain point or up to a couple of years, but then afterward, usually the people who are the best in memory have really healthy home environments, really supportive uh, social uh, system. And it's, they really talk to themselves in like a very kind way. And I think that part is really, really hard um, for memory and for girls especially is like the society teaches you to like always be self-correcting, you know? But my thing is like, be nicer to yourself, notice way more when you do well versus when you do something bad. And like when you do something bad or when you do something wrong, like talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend unless you're really bad with your friends. But like if you're, that is really like one of the biggest things about memory. And telling yourself your memory is bad, you're also kind of giving yourself a, a get out of jail free card by just not trying. You know. Oh, yeah. I love that. And that was Elizabeth Spiegel, by the way, who yeah. also lives in Brooklyn, where we are right now. Yeah. And she's, like, amazing, like, one of the best teachers I've seen. Um, so it really meant a lot coming from her. And it's just a tough balance because, you know, you do have to be critical if you want to be great, mm. but compartmentalizing it and mm. not making it habitual. Mm. Definitely don't want to make a habit out of being hard on yourself. Yeah. I think... What I've seen, at least in memory, when it's such a niche sport, um, mental sport, is I think, like, it is definitely specific to the individual, but, like, something like, let's say a rule of thumb of, like, 80% positive, positive feedback and 20% kind of constructive feedback about your leaks or the issues you're having. Because now, when I'm looking back at my memory career, I should have really, 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 really focused way more on on being better at the things I was the best in the world at. Thank you for inspiring so many people. Yenja Windersall, he is a memory champion, a memory grandmaster. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jen. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The U.S. Chess Suite of Podcasts, including Ladies' Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess Podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be Ladies' Night. Now according to Sockfish I got it all wrong After slightly advantage I had nothing But my dear Capablanco You tell me We'll learn more from our defeats Who needs victory?